Perfect, we'll give it about a minute and then we can kind of get things started. Okay, perfect. I guess we're good to go. Um, hello, everyone who's listening. Thank you for joining. Uh, this is another uh, session of the Tamil Innovator Spotlight. So the Tamil Innovator Spotlight is an online series which puts the spotlight on individuals from the global Tamil community who are building great products, services, and initiatives. Our latest event is brought, you, brought to you in partnership with mystartupdojo.com and tamilculture.com. And uh, my name is Aaron Hemprem, and uh, I'm one of the co-founders of TamilCulture.com, and I'm just stepping in for Angela today to be the host. Um, and I also host my own podcast called The Tamil Creator as well. I am super excited to welcome our featured speech speaker today, Prashant Balasupravanyam, CEO of Y Combinator Back Startup Last Bit. And uh, we'll share in the recap um, and show notes kind of the URL to kind of check out more information about the company. And, uh, you know, before we kind of get into it, I'll do a quick intro on some of the key things around Prashant, and obviously we'll learn a bit more as we kind of move forward. But um, Prashant is an early Bitcoiner and developer. So for those of you listening, interested about uh, Bitcoin, blockchain, all that stuff, you know, there's a lot of different definitions out there, but he'll kind of um, clarify that. He left uh, e ETH Zurich in Switzerland while he was in the middle of his master's program to build the last bit. So that's dedication um, to kind of, you know, go to the States. Uh, as you can kind of see in his t-shirt, uh, he's wearing a Berkeley Sky, Sky Deck uh, t-shirt. So that was one of the first programs he got into and then the Y Combinator program. And uh, yeah, he loves working with Bitcoin and, you know, he, while playing on an European tour in a heavy metal band, it, uh, he kind of, learned the horrors of kind of legally having access to an Indian bank account, but trying to use multiple currencies on a daily basis. And it's kind of one of the many sparks which kind of got him interested in Bitcoin and, you know, some of the benefits of the, you know, the technology. So, um, yeah, we'll kind of now get into it and welcome Prashant. Um, so Prashant, for, you know, those of us or those of uh, people kind of listening, why don't you tell them a bit about yourself you know your family your upbringing kind of before you kind of get into the fun stuff yeah sure thanks for the thanks for the kind words and the introduction well um so i grew up in india i mean i was born in bangalore right lived here i did my schooling there for the first about 18 20 years of my life and then um i moved to to Bellor 
uh, which is a small city near Chennai to, to study at VIT uh, and I study computer science. I've been studying computer science since like a young age and my brother who, I have an older brother who's also like super into computers and like he kind of dragged me into the, uh, the idea of like programming and working with, with computers like super young. We used to build PCs and stuff like that. So uh, we both had this like affinity towards programming and, and computer science in general. So that's kind of how it all started. And yeah, I kind of stumbled onto Bitcoin pretty early on and like around the end of my bachelor's. And this was in around 2015, 2016. Uh, and that's when I decided to go to ETH Zurich in Switzerland to study, uh, to pursue a master's in computer science. Got it. And then, you know, when you made the move from India to Switzerland to um, study your master's, you know, you kind of left halfway in the middle of it, which is almost like a big no-no in, uh, you know, from the perspective of like Tamil parents and family. So obviously you got into Berkeley Skydeck and Y Combinator, which are, you know, great programs. Um, but how did your parents take that move? And also like maybe talk about like how convinced were you that making that move was the right one for you as well? Yeah, that, I mean, that, that's that's definitely one of the, like, that's actually one of the things that excited me. Like I'd always been an outlier in most aspects. Like like the fact that I played heavy metal drums, like like well, firstly picking up a musical instrument, like pick, I picked up the drums of all, my, my mom hates it to this day. And like, and she thinks I'm like a, a very bad person for playing the drums, like I picked up the guitar or something. But um, but nonetheless, like the same way uh, when I, as soon as I went to like do my master, like I'd already studied in Germany for a while and then in China, but like I'd moved abroad and like met a bunch of different folk from different backgrounds and stuff. Um, and, I, and at that point, I already kind of knew that like I didn't want to be one of those dudes that just ended up at a desk at Facebook or Google, you know, working for this like salary, like living like the very normal mainstream settled life. Like my brother was doing that already. Like he's still doing that. He lives in Silicon Valley, like he works at NVIDIA and I mean, he's he's doing well. But uh, I, I kind of knew like that's not what I wanted to do. And and in that in that regard, uh, I started working with a startup like to, even before I joined my master's, I started working with a, with a, with a blockchain startup at the time. And uh, that, that kind of gave me like, a very deep insight into two things. Like the first one was about uh, like blockchain and Bitcoin in general. And the other one was about like how, it, what it takes to build a company like from the ground up. Like today that's the, the company's still going and they're like doing pretty well. But uh, like those two kind of, those two factors kind of persuaded me. Like it, it made me think that if I did end up finishing my master's degree, like one, like it's very, I mean, it's very, it would have been very likely that I'd be sitting at Google Zurich today, like working like a normal desk job. And I knew that I, that's not what I wanted to do. And so I had like a whole bunch of ideas that I wanted to try out. And uh, it was a massive leap, like it was a massive leap of faith for me uh, in like trusting myself and my abilities to build a company. And like in hindsight, it's probably the best decision I've, I've ever made in my life. Um, and to my, like to my pleasant surprise, like both, uh, both my, my parents and my brother, like extremely supportive of it. Like to this day, like they don't, fully understand what I do like they have no idea what Bitcoin is or like any of that stuff but they were I mean they're super orthodox folks by the way like they've never left the country like they're like super super damn brown uh, and they're like they're, they're extremely discovers but in this regard they were like okay this guy seems to know what he's doing like he's he's smart enough to figure stuff out on his own like, we're just gonna let him do it and like if, if we say no he's not gonna listen anyway so, so they were like extremely supportive <laughs> and even to this day like uh I mean they have what I do so so yeah, like any, you, you kind of talked about, you know, what prompted your interest a bit, um, but like what really got you excited about, you know, the premise and, you know, the, the vision for, you know, Bitcoin, like, you know, the other cryptocurrencies and just blockchain in general, like what gets you excited um, about that future? Yeah, uh, I mean, so like, like, like I mentioned, I started working with Bitcoin pretty early on, like from a from a like developer perspective. Like, so I, I kind of had a an understanding of how the technology worked, like what was interesting about it, what was exciting about it. But like the reality of like why this thing is amazing, like why I wanted to like dedicate the rest of my 
adult life to working on this stuff was what really happened when I when I like, kind of experienced those pains firsthand. Um, so when I when I did move abroad to Switzerland, like I went all alone and um, I had to like kind of figure out a lot of stuff on my own. And like within Switzerland, there's not that big of Indian community. Like I mean, making friends was hard. So like even like for a basic thing, like if I wanted to open a bank account, would I go talk to stuff like that? Or, like I decided to do a lot of that stuff on my own. And while I was doing all that, like it, it really struck me like like this is like Switzerland is one of the most financially advanced countries in the world. Like it's it's like the hub of all the big, big the big banks and all the money and even there like opening a simple bank account like just pay for my daily expenses i mean just pay my own tuition like i was financing my own way through college and like paying my own tuition was just absurdly hard like there's no like there's no easy way to even move money like from india to switzerland and uh i was like okay i'm just gonna try doing like it makes so much sense to use bitcoin to do this and i ended up doing that and uh when when you made that when you make your first bitcoin transaction like when you make a cryptocurrency transaction you like the reality i mean it, it just kind of hit me like holy shit this thing is the way the way this works is like it's completely permissionless like there's no single person that controls it like the reality of like what that word decentralized actually means kind of hits you uh i mean it's, it's like buzzword that's run around all the time but like the fact that i didn't have to go to like a company or a bank or someplace and open an account before i could get bitcoin and buy it and sell it and things like that uh like, so that's when like uh, like this is insanely powerful stuff. And then like from a tech perspective, it was just absolutely, it was, it, was ex- it was the most exciting thing I was working on. So like, I mean, this is probably like, this is something I want to learn more about. Like, and I just fell, fell into the rabbit hole and uh, never looked back. I mean, the kind of the stuff that we used today is like some pretty advanced Bitcoin protocols and stuff. But uh, back then it was just like falling into the rabbit hole, haven't looked back since. Yeah, even something like Coinbase, which obviously makes it as easy as using Robinhood or one of those other tools to buy cryptocurrencies is kind of crazy when you think about I remember when I first kind of looked into it, there was a few platforms. I wasn't super early, maybe like three, four years ago. And um, even like kind of how easy the user experience was, was not that great. So it makes sense mm-hmm. why something like Coinbase took off. Um, you know, you kind of talked about that decentralized kind of concept and it's a buzzword, people don't understand it. And then you actually got a practical, you know, um, experience, kind of experiencing what it actually meant where like you were in Switzerland, the financial capital of kind of the world where you know people think banks and stuff they think of switzerland and they still made it hard for you to move money from india to switzerland and then the ability for you to kind of not instantly but maybe relatively easily move money from india to switzerland you know uh through bitcoin must have been like you know pretty remarkable so i guess for yourself as well like do you look at bitcoin and you know ethereum and things like that as you know, a tool or also kind of an investment? Like, have you like personally bought Bitcoin and Ethereum? And if, you know, why or why not? I mean, that's, that's, I mean, well, firstly, I wanted to mention, like, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned Coinbase because this is like a very relevant story, like as well. Like, so going through, like Coinbase is also a white combinator company. And um, like, he had like, like Brian from Coinbase is like, I, I'm, I've never met him personally, but then like from what I've heard is like this insanely smart dude, basically like who, Back in 2012, like, sorry, like, yeah, I think 2012 was when they finished uh, YC. And like at that time, like when he was pitching the idea of Coinbase, nobody thought it was cool. And like he was literally giving away Bitcoin to people, like uh, at demo day, like handing people free Bitcoin. Like, see, like this thing, here, here's like one Bitcoin, you can do whatever you want with this. This is how it works and how cool it is. And nobody, like nobody bought the idea, like, like this thing is, is going to fail. And then today they're the company as big as Facebook. But, um, like that's a very similar relatable story to that to that extent uh and and like to the, to the second part um no like I, I like since day one for me like ever since i started playing around with bitcoin it's always been about like i mean what, what really excites me is 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 the way it works like as an investment i mean yeah i do hold some cryptocurrency but like that's not the that's really not the end game for me like the price changes so much like 
people around me like always talking about the price and i think that's kind of where a lot of the hype comes from but outside of that like if you just, if you, if you really think about it from like a macro perspective like if if every single person on the planet was just concerned about the price and like held on to bitcoin because they all thought they're going to get rich from it and, and nobody did anything useful with it the price would quickly drop to zero because people will start to wonder like why is this thing valuable uh, and the reason it's valuable like like if you actually look back at why when it was first invented and published on the internet it was created as a form of peer to peer electronic cash which is effectively a means of settling transactions between peers across the globe to, between anybody who had access to an internet connection like without any middlemen whatsoever right and that vision is still like yet to be realized on a, on a global scale and i think that's kind of what really excites me and like i want to like try to contribute as much as i can towards that got it um it's interesting kai you mentioned the coinbase story because um there was an investor, I forgot his name. I think he works, he was something at Y Combinator as well. And I think he gave them like 200,000. Like, I think they said, they sent him a cold email. They kind of talked about what Coinbase was. And he, the reason he invested was because he had trouble easily buying Bitcoin. Because I think the user experience was so bad. And then, you know, Coinbase and like the, the early beta or like version of it, I guess they saw, he saw it and he's like, you know what, this is going to be huge. And he, you know, he gave them 200,000. I think his investment's worth like one or $2 billion now. It's like some crazy amount. So um, yeah, you're definitely right. A lot of things that are kind of on the fringe. There's another product I think of too. Um, do you remember that drink that's like for developers where if you want something that's nutritious, but uh, um, you know, you don't have time to eat, but you want something that's still, what, what's that product called? Do you know? I actually have no idea. That sounds like a very Silicon Valley thing. I generally yeah. have no idea. So it's the same thing. I think like, I remember like a developer friend of mine was drinking that and I was like, this is crazy. Like, this is like something straight out of like a sci-fi movie. But later, like I think two, three years later, it became mainstream and became like a massive company. So definitely something there. Um, you know, in terms of between Bitcoin and Ethereum, what do you see as a difference between them? Like the common thing that I hear is Bitcoin is store of value. Ethereum is kind of the gas or transactions in the future. Is that something that you would see as accurate? Not entirely. Like, no, I wouldn't agree with that. Uh, but I mean, it's like it's it's very easy to get wound up with these like internet debates about how this like between these coins and and most of them usually stem from a perspective of price and which one the, the party that's arguing for or against it thinks is going to go higher up in value. But from a utility perspective, like or the reason they exist is so Bitcoin has a lot of shortcomings. By no means is it perfect. Like it was uh, it was invented as. It was invented as peer-to-peer electronic cash. And like as soon as it was put out on the internet, like as soon as Satoshi put like whoever this person is, like put puts this up on the on the internet, the very first comment was like, we very much need a system like this in the world, but I don't see this thing scaling up to the needs of seven billion people on the planet. And that's a very true statement, right? Um and Ethereum can and like so Bitcoin intentionally has a bunch of limitations, the way it works makes it hard to use and stuff like that. So uh Ethereum kind of came up with this idea of like it, it didn't. It, it took away a bunch of limitations and reimagined a few fundamental concepts of Bitcoin and the way, for example, like Bitcoin is a double entry bookkeeping system where like you have just transactions, inputs and outputs and Ethereum is like an account based system. And that allows for different types of things that can be done with Ethereum that you cannot do on Bitcoin. For example, you can run a program on the Ethereum blockchain, like as long as you're willing to pay for it, you can run anything you want. Like, I mean, you can, you can run like a counter that counts like from zero to like a billion or infinity, like as long as you're willing to pay for it, but something like that on Bitcoin is impossible. So this opens up a bunch of use cases with, with Ethereum that, that are just not possible with Bitcoin. And um, that in turn, like opened up more use cases. Like, for, so for example, uh, like, so I, like when he mentioned store of value, like I'm not sure what that actually means because like, again, that's like something that's tied hundred percent to the price of Bitcoin, which like, which means you're assuming it's going to become extremely valuable. And like, that's why you, you want to store your value in it, which, I'm not sure, like, I mean, nobody can predict what Bitcoin, I mean, you know, it's deflationary, but you can't say like, it's going to, I wouldn't consider it a sound investment, like, uh, 
as I mean, it's risky for sure. Uh, whereas with Ethereum, it, it opens up like all these crazy uh, possibilities to build like other sort of like financial tools, like for example, decentralized finance, like building wealth products, interest generating products, like lending markets, borrowing markets, I- issuing coins. Like it, it opened up a whole bunch of different use cases that were just like, th- those are things that Bitcoin is not suited for. So they're like inherently different ideas and different perspectives on uh, on, on two different problems entirely. Like, so Ethereum is not trying to be peer-to-peer like running cash, like although some people use it. Like So there are different ways, entirely different ways of looking at this. For me, I'm more personally excited about Ethereum than Bitcoin, but I feel like obviously Bitcoin is what is commonly put out there in the way the media. So why do you think people don't talk about Ethereum as much, even though the applications like practically are way more, po- like there's way more possibilities with Ethereum than there is with Bitcoin? Yeah, I mean, I mean, so this is uh, like, like exactly like so people usually go down the route of like choosing something that solves the problem for them. Like you probably like Ethereum because like it does something for you. You saw some cool application or something that kind of like caught your attention. That Bitcoin like becomes boring, right? It's just like I mean, in in a, in a very dry sense, it's like yeah, it's cool. I mean, in the beginning, it was like the only one before Ethereum came out. Like that's when it was like extra exciting. But now with all like we have like a, I don't know like like a million different coins, each of which do claim to do something different. Like there's a hundred different applications. So everybody has their vice and like something about something of like some blockchain or cryptocurrency attracts them towards it. So that's kind of why um, they're all, I mean, it's, the space is kind of fragmented in this way. Like people are more drawn towards something that they find useful or cool. Whereas uh, like, and, and the reason Ethereum is not as famous or popular as Bitcoin today is pro- it's just a test of time. So like Bitcoin is like, it's like, the, it's like the internet basically like, right? Like you had, uh, I mean, so Bitcoin was like the granddaddy of all cryptocurrencies and the idea like, of what a block, you know, decentralized systems mean in itself. And it's been around the longest and like, it's probably not been broken. Like nobody has been able to break it or like find a fault in the system. And Ethereum's like it's still a bit newer, but it's like, it's just cool younger brother. So maybe in like 10 years, who knows? I mean, maybe it's Ethereum that's like the most famous one or like the most widely used one or something else. Yeah, and you talked about, you know, Bitcoin and you were, you were like, you know, it's not clear what you meant by store of value. What I mean by that is, I guess there's a certain group of people and even companies um, that are purchasing Bitcoin and keeping it in their treasury is kind of a hedge against, you know, inflation. Like they believe that the governments, especially in the US, Canada, et cetera, Europe, printed off a lot of money to help keep the economies going. And at some point that's going to you know, come back and bite all those economies in the butt. And mm-hmm. you know, having something like Bitcoin in your treasury, like your company treasury instead of cash, which is losing value because a lot of it's being printed is kind of the strategy. So that's kind of what I meant by store of value. It's supposed to be kind of replacing what most people think is like, you know, what gold was before Bitcoin came. It's like the digital gold for like maybe, um, you know, millennials, but again, you know, it's, it's to be seen, but you're right. It's much more boring than Ethereum, but yeah, why don't we kind of get into the company? You know, we talked a lot about, mm-hmm. you know, cryptocurrency, blockchain, <laughs> et cetera. So, you know, last bit, you know, uh, you kind of talked a little bit about why you started the company, but why don't we kind of go back to that and, you know, just recap why you started last bit and then we'll kind of delve into the Y Combinator experience as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, I mean, yeah, speaking about Bitcoin and blockchain, like we could speak for hours on this topic. I mean, that like on, on a lot of the stuff you said, like I, I would love to just chat about this kind of thing. I mean, the, yeah, the, it's probably like one of the most exciting things that's happening. And like, I love getting your opinion, like the way different people look at it. And yeah, there's there's hours and hours of content on just that alone, if, if anyone's interested in that. But yeah, uh, yeah coming back to last bit. So yeah, uh, like I was... Um, I, like I told you, right, I did play the drums for a while and like when I moved to, so after my bachelor, I moved to Germany for a while and then I found this this death metal band and like that was always my dream to play in a, in a death metal band and like this was the European band that like, kind of like just ticked all the boxes and it was like the best time of my life, like got to meet these cool people and like 
play music and study at the same time. So I was just like doing everything I wanted to do with, with, with my life. And um, around the time I started the company as well, uh, we had like, I had this opportunity to go on like European tour where we play like eight or nine different countries. And, and we were like, we just drove across Europe and playing shows every day. Um, and at this point, it was like super apparent that, okay, like doing, I mean, like this is a real problem like in my head it was a problem i knew the problem and like i knew i wanted to solve it but that like i, I didn't have the courage like to actually go to like the administration like, to the to the i forget what the office is called but like to the office in my university and tell them like hey i'm gonna i'm gonna deregister and uh that was kind of like, the tipping point for me like so when i did like when i realized like well i'm spending like 80 percent of my time like outside of university just working on like i'd been i was working on this on the side among other things and um and like i, I was spending more time working on like this kind of stuff as opposed to, like university course i'm just like studying for exams just and, and like my folk like course was focused on artificial intelligence so uh I, I dabbled in that for a bit as a research assistant but i like it wasn't as exciting as this and like it was just like the most obvious thing to do but then i must have the courage to like, actually go and do that so um and finally i ended up like i, I just ended up pulling the plug and like okay i'm just gonna do this and uh, uh i talked to my parents about this like i just go ahead do it it's all good so i didn't have anything to hold me back or when i went about doing this and i knew that so i knew the problem i wanted to solve i'd seen firsthand like this other startup that i was working with like how this how this guy uh, built a company like from the ground up like it was a pre CCS company they like they raised like four hundred thousand dollars at the point when i left but um, i was like okay if this guy can do it i can most definitely can do it myself but uh obviously the future was like a bit uncertain like i still needed to figure out like how am i gonna like okay now i'm gonna get kicked out of europe i need to go back build the prototype like meet investors raise a company like, build a team and all that stuff so that that was like kind of the, the early days like super early days okay um and then you know you got into a prestigious, um, you know, program in Y Combinator, um, which, you know, people know, it's a brand name, you know, everyone who's kind of in the startup world, especially in North America, know the name, and you got into it, which is, you know, it's like, I think harder to get into Y Combinator than I think to get into Harvard was the stat. Um, so, you know, you got in. So tell us about that whole experience in terms of, um, you know, the application process, like being in the program, the value that you've seen in the program. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that, I think that's one great way to describe it. Like, like a very recent description I saw of YC was something that stuck with me. It's like it's kind of like Hogwarts for startups. And that's <laughs> very, it's very, very true. Um, yeah. So, like, so as soon as I started the company, like, I kind of knew like YC was something that I really, really wanted to do, but uh, I just never felt like we were ready enough. Like you said, it's it's one of these like it's like the holy grail. Like every startup wants to go there, and I always thought like I'm just another dude with an idea. Like, what makes me special? Like, I w- I don't think I would get in, but in hindsight, I should have supplied. Like, that should have been the first thing I did. But uh, thus, we learned the hard way. But uh, the application process is it's kind of like what you see online. So you you basically like what they're looking for is our founders or yeah, they're, they're mostly focused on like really focused on founders and like certain companies. So they, they do know that like 90% of like the companies that apply are like the super early stage company that like just like do people or guys, people with, with ideas and probably don't have like a real product or like real users and stuff like that. But there are exceptions. But um, so yeah, like the majority of our application and data was focused on like us as founders, like who we are, like what, what makes us special, like why are we building this? Why do we believe in it? Uh, and yeah. The process is like you, you submit an online application, like with just your idea and like a bunch of details about the founders, like the company, just basic stuff. And then if they like it, you get a 10 minute interview. Uh, like I think, like I forget the stats, like I think like 10% of all applicants get this interview. And then in that 10 minute interview, like I think like 1% of them actually make it past. So like the odds were super slim, but for us, like, I mean, we were just pumped that we even got to that interview stage. And uh, when we did that, th- I mean, those 10 minutes were like, we pre- me and my co-founder prepared like really, really, I mean, we spent a lot of time preparing for it and uh, it, went, it, went, it went great. And and after that, the, yeah, the YC experience was like 
it was it was unfor- unforgettable. Like we, it, it literally changed the trajectory of the company and it changed us as founders because what, what they kind of do is it's you're you're in a in a group of like extremely smart people, all of whom are really really motivated to build like the next hundred billion dollar company, and that makes that just makes you. As, as a human being, like you naturally want to compete and like try to be at a higher level than everyone else. And like, it brings out that spirit in you. And, and, and the things that you learn during YC, the things that they teach you are the absolute most relevant things like that are, that they're all meant towards pushing you towards getting to that like massive, like you as a builder math, like it's high risk, high reward sort of thing. Like, and that gets drilled into you. Like you make these big decisions and big moves. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, you learn something. I love the description as a Harry Potter fan that it's uh, the Hogwarts of the startup world. Uh, interesting story about Y Combinator. I mean, there's a lot of them about it, but I read about when Airbnb went public. I think um, they got into the Y Combinator program and I think they gave them a certain amount of money to wipe out the debt of one of the founders or something like that, or the debt of the company. <laughs> I think it was like 6% of the company. And obviously once it IPO'd, I think that turned into like some crazy number. I don't know what the exact number is, but maybe it was a billion. Uh, so that's like the craziest return of like the $60,000 into a billion. So Y Combinator has done really well. Um, mm-hmm. You talked about kind of the founding team. So when most people think of kind of building a startup, finding your team is typically hard because, you know, you're building something for the next five, seven years until you kind of get something somewhere, right? Like realistically. So whoever you kind of build a team with, you got to really have some kind of, you know, uh, chemistry with them. So how did you, like, how did you and your co-founders come together and uh yeah tell us about that yeah I, I th- that's that's a great question i think like and that's like the number one thing behind any great company like it's usually a, a function of how the co-founders do in the early days like if there's and the, like the biggest reason companies fail or like early stage companies fail is really not because of like competition or like the company running out of money it's, it's almost always because the founders like were not the right fit or the founders just gave up and like went to do something else or whatever but um so i was like super fortunate in this regard again uh, i mean like the early, like the early years of the company was just myself. Uh, I mean, I, I had like, I've always been like the solo person. Like I love doing things by myself and like, I'm, I was pretty good at like doing everything like from start to finish, but then things to, like I was always looking for a co-founder. And like when I was at Berkeley, uh, I was fortunate enough to meet this, this guy, uh, his name is Bernardo. He was graduating from the Haas School of Business and uh, he was just finishing up his MBA. He'd come from like a long background in consulting at McKinsey and he had, he was like super passionate about finance and like really loved what we were doing. And uh, as after he graduated from from his MBA, he decided to take this massive leap of faith and like rejecting a sponsorship for his MBA from McKinsey and like and a full time job from them to like join me full time. Um, and we've been working together for like a year and a half or so now. And I mean, it's just been one hell of a ride. Like just like we just fit together so perfectly. And like we, I spent two years working on this by myself, and then finding him. And I mean, it was like things just happened along the way for the right reasons. And uh, it's it's been pretty great. Like as as the founding team. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And like, I think you mentioned like, you know, why most companies fail at the beginning. It's because of the dynamic between co-founders. Like, I think the number one reason companies fail in their first five years, you know, I think it was like something related to like founder conflict, I think it was, um, you know, because it's, it's a hard thing to do, build a company. It's like, you're pretty much married from a business point of view, right? So mm-hmm. <laughs> it's definitely a hard thing. Uh, yep. Um, you know, one of the interesting things I found, like when I was kind of doing a bit of research on like your company as well, is one of the founder or one of the investors in your company was Charlie Lee, who is a founder of Litcoin. So Litecoin, sorry. Um, how did you how did you get him as an investor? I mean, uh, that's actually like 
so we were in Vegas for a conference, like we were attending this money. We, we, we were in like in town for a different conference, like this was a, a, a fintech conference. And at the same time, like on those exact same days, there was the, the Litecoin conference going on, like at a different hotel in Vegas. And uh, we were like, okay, we need to crash this. Like we didn't have tickets. Like we didn't even know what was happening. Like when we were there, we were like, holy shit, this thing's happening. Charlie Lee's going to be there. Like, and we, we all knew who he was. Like I was like, man, I just need to like tell him about an idea and like see if he's going to be interested in it. Um, and like we were like, you know, we kind of like crashed our way into the conference. Like we just put in like fake passes, walked in, and uh, we 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 were, like we met Charlie, and he was a super nice guy, super down to earth. He's going to have a chat with us, and um, kind of got him on Telegram and texted him like back and forth, like telling him like, hey, this is what we're working on. Is this is sound interesting to you at all? And like, uh, and then we went back to uh, to San Francisco and like, met up met, met up with him for coffee like the next week. Uh, and like within a weekend, he said like, okay, I want to invest some money in the company, and like this is how it's gonna go, and like. In two days, we signed a safe note, and yeah, super easy, super, super chill guy to work with. That's awesome. I like the initiative of faking the passes. Um, so you guys did a safe with Charlie then to kind of start off with. Yeah, that's right. Got it. Um, you know, uh, one thing I want to kind of mention to anybody kind of listening right now is, you know, if you have any questions, feel free to kind of send them over via the chat or, you know, because we're not really looking at Facebook Live, unfortunately, but. Uh, you know, if there's some questions you sent that we aren't able to answer today, we'll get them over to Prashant and uh, maybe he can kind of answer them separately. Um, you know, one of the things I wanted to kind of ask was around, you know, last bit, you know, and COVID. I, you know, what's been the impact, whether it's positive or negative, of COVID on, you know, the trajectory or, you know, where your company is going as last bit? I mean, it's a bit of, I mean, it's, it's definitely been a positive impact for us, uh, like as a company and like personally, it's not as positive, I would say. I mean, it's not, it's not a bad thing, but well, basically like, yeah, I came back to India last March, um, exactly around the start of COVID and, and that's when everything happened. And, um, so like outside of the founding team, we're actually a pretty small team of like seven folks, but not, like at the time we were like four people and uh, all four of us decided to like get a house in Bangalore and like live and work in the, like as make it our office slash living space. And since then, we've actually just been like stuck in the same place. Like we've all we've all been living and working together. And like, we're, like I mean, we built this amazing team dynamic. And like, so work-wise, we're, we're just working like all day, every day. And um, I mean, that's been great. So that we've been able to push things forward really, really. We launched our products, they're doing well. We just closed like a huge round of financing. And like, so the company's been like, it was like, the company's been great. Like, and we were fortunate enough again that COVID didn't like directly impact the business, given that it's like an online it's a payments application. So it didn't like have too much of an impact on us. But, um, but yeah, obviously, like, personally, like, we've just been like kind of stuck in lockdown. We don't get to do anything else other than work, which is not the worst thing, but yeah, it would be nice to go out once in a while. How does Last Bit make money? Like, what's your revenue model? Is it just like a transaction fee or is there like a subscription? Yeah, um, as of today, it's pretty simple. Like, you can think of it like sort of like PayPal, where we just charge a small transaction fee every time someone moves from Bitcoin to Euros or vice versa. Um, but like the long term vision, I mean, just again, like what we have live today is like a proof of concept that's just meant to show that hey, this thing actually works, and we were able to convince banks and Bitcoin exchanges to work with us. Uh, but yeah, the long term vision, the revenue model is slightly different. Got it. Um, and then, like in terms of you know um, life outside of work, you know, because you know work is definitely important. You you're building something you're very passionate about. But what do you like to do for fun outside of work? I know things are might might be limited in Bangalore right now and kind of you know what's happening there, but typically what, what do you like to do for fun outside of work? Um uh, I, I think like at this point like in my life, like, I have like three three things. Like one is one is like working on like a bunch of hobby projects. Like I love tinkering with hardware and have a whole bunch of like like side, not side, like, like small projects, like stuff I can build around the house. Like, like we built like a bartender, like a machine that just dispenses drinks, like um with that's powered by Bitcoin, like a skateboard, like 
and it, like just random stuff like hardware stuff like this. The other one is is drumming. I still play the drums like pretty actively. Uh, been picking up the guitar recently as well. Uh, I have a small YouTube channel where I like upload drum covers, and uh, and the last one is basketball. I mean, it, but yeah, I've had I got injured a few years back and just haven't been able to play since. But yeah, those are like the outside world. So fun fact before we kind of jumped on this, Prashant told me, which I found crazy, is that his favorite basketball team growing up was the Toronto Raptors. As a diehard Raptors fan, I'm very happy to hear that we have an international following. And you think I think you said Vince Carter and Chris Bosch were two of your yep. favorite players? Crazy. Still are. Still are. So you must have been ecstatic. Uh, was it two years ago? Oh, felt like a lifetime ago, but you know, we won the championship. Yeah, that was pretty cool to see. That was definitely amazing. I mean, that, that was unexpected to some extent, but uh, it was, it was, I, I watched every single, like me and my dad were actually saying it while like watching every single one of the finals matches. That was, that was, that was awesome. I should, I should actually create a YouTube channel of um, my wife took videos of me reacting um, very passionately. We'll call it that. Um, <laughs> reacting to all the crazy games. You should have seen me after game seven, the quiet <laughs> shot and some other like shots, you know, during the, the finals too. But, you know, definitely that, that championship will last a decade in my mind. Mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not like worried about the Raptors. <laughs> um, you know, in terms of like learning, like you seem like someone that's kind of always learning and striving. Is there like a bo- like a book and or like podcast that you've kind of listened to, like a book you read or a podcast you've listened to that you know you has really made an impact on yourself personally or professionally? Um yeah, actually like there's like the most recent book I read, like I read this like last week. Uh it's called it's called The CEO Within by Matt Mockery. It's not it's not a very famous book of any sorts, but it was something that like folks within the YC community were talking about. And uh man, that thing like it really changed my perspective on like doing management, like growing a team, like the way you handle things within a company. And like, it's, it's all the things that you think are, you know, I mean, it's all the things that you think are true, but you wouldn't implement them because you're not hundred percent sure. And then when you read them in, in this book, like, it's like, yes, I, I always knew this. Like, this is the right way to do this thing. And like, it, it, it definitely changed my perspective on like on running a company. So highly recommend that to anyone. That's, and how about, like pod- and how about podcasts? Um, actually, I can't think of it. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't listen to podcasts. Like, religiously like uh, it's mostly on and off like stuff that I hear bits and pieces of and but yeah I can't think of one that's uh, memorable that just sticks out the top of my head okay and then in terms of like you know if you had a kind of you know if you had a chance to sit down with 16 year old Prashant um, what you know what would be something that you would say to him <laughs> well I, I think I, 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 I generally do not have have like zero regrets per se but then like if I had to do things over again I would probably do it a little bit differently and like yeah I think that to answer that question, I'll probably try to start start running a company like earlier on in my life because I did not need the validation from universities. Uh, because in hindsight, those, those degrees or like certificates of paper are, like serve me no purpose. And uh, and I know like this is what I'm going to do for the next like 20 years of my life, three. So like I, I just wish I'd, I mean, I would have liked to have started doing this earlier on. Do you think the future of school is going to change? You know, like you made that comment and I, you know, I personally feel the same way as you. I know there's probably been some benefit to kind of what I've done in school, whether it's meeting people or some kind of interest that sparked in you. But do you see the future of school trade, you know, changing drastically or sorry, education? It's, it's very hard. I was actually having a very intense discussion with my best friend about this a few days ago. And uh, like, while there's, there's a this huge room for improvement um, and there's like definitely like new things coming out. Like, I, th- I think it's not going to change drastically. It's going to evolve 
slowly like these kind of this is like a massive change like it's almost like uprooting of the financial system it's not something that's going to happen overnight but like over the next 10 years things are going to be are definitely going to be way different from the way like it was like when we went to school like like online learning is is a thing now that that's accepted and it's perfectly normal way to learn things that you are interested in um but yes it's very hard to say like what what exactly will change it's very easy like to shun a degree out and say like hey like university sucks but that's not for everyone right like some people kind of learn early on like hey this is like i think to do and it's not but uh yeah like i don't think there's a binary answer to that so it's definitely going to change but I, but i think it's going to be a gradual change over the next couple of years yeah i'm very super fascinated by this change because it kind of plays into kind of the decisions you made in kind of forming last like you left in the middle of your master's program to start it and i just feel like looking back I kind of figured I wanted to do certain things by a certain age and I kind of just did school just to have that piece of paper as kind of a backup. Um mm-hmm. but I think the future of school I think will be like instead of paying a large amount of money for doing four years of school it might be like bite-sized courses like instead of doing all these unnecessary courses very specific courses to what you want to do it might be a bit more practical it might be shorter um and also like I was one that never I was one of those students that didn't go to class like I <laughs> well people are like in class I would be learning or trying to learn the material off offline or like you know and I would try to be like I tried to go to school just for socializing and like building relationships and connections so I don't know if that was like the right or wrong thing but I feel like there's a there's a group of people like me so um mm-hmm. in terms of like yourself as well in, in terms of like a personal like this legacy perspective like how would you want your friends and family to describe you <laughs> so this is Yeah I I think the simple answer to that is like I I want them to like like not describe me but something that I've built or like something that I've done with like the years of existence that I that I existed for you know like I I don't want like my existence to be meaningless in the fact that I mean I spent like the entirety of my life until now, like mostly studying and learning stuff now I just basically want to spend the rest of my life like putting all that learning into like practical usage that does something like that changes the way somebody does something and like the tidly something that I like doing as well so while it's easier to say like I'm going to fix global warming that's not my thing to fix there are people who are way more passionate about it to fix it but uh but i definitely do want to like keep keep building things keep building things that like i eventually strike that one thing like hopefully it's lost bit but it's one of those things that just changes the way people look at a particular fact i mean a facet of their life so yeah so only like remember in the sense like you build something that just lives on for like 100 years or so and for you uh what's like a failure like i know maybe you call it, you call it learning lesson that you you know experienced in the last like 5 years that you've kind of really learned from um i think it's definitely like this this sounds is pretty easy because it's it's definitely like determination and grit like though like it's it's a learn like building a company is super high risk and like looking at folks that i went to school with who have now graduated or i mean not all of them are doing better or like they're all doing different things like some people uh i mean it's very easy to, like look at the safer path and like wonder like what would happen if you're taking that and like but like staying uh like but like just being determined like continually pushing forward what 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 I wanted to do and like and doing it on a daily basis uh without like ever giving up until now is is something that I definitely had to learn it, it was it was more like out of necessity that I learned it than than choice but it's been a great learning experience do you ever kind of get founder envy when you're kind of building like last bit and like you know especially since the kind of the environments you're around where you're seeing other people maybe it's friends family etc building you know um companies that are like you know bigger than you or significantly bigger than yours like today like do you ever get founder of like envy or like questioning yourself like why am i working on this i should be building that like how do you do you get that or like if you do how do you internally deal with that 
I think I think having time to like worry about that is a luxury. Like I, I definitely do understand early on. It's it's very easy to get sucked into that loophole uh, and like compare yourself against other startups. And it happens like it happens all around. Like especially when you're in this startup world. Or, like I mean, you see other founders all the time. Like you see like an agriculture startup comparing themselves to, like I don't know, like a space to company. And, like it just makes no sense. And that's that's more to do with, like founder ego. And uh, yeah, it's a luxury to be worrying about things like that. And, and like honestly, I, I learned again like one of those things like. Like looking at that just makes no difference. Like my day-to-day job, like my like every single every single waking second, my job is to make this company a success and like fix things that are broken on a daily basis. And things are broken on a daily basis. So worrying about what another company is doing is, is mostly a luxury. Like obviously, like analyzing competition, like learning and strategizing, that's a different thing. But that's not in the bucket of uh, like comparing yourself to other companies. And yeah, I generally don't care much about like what. I mean, I again like from strategy perspective, of course, I'm always aware of what other companies are doing, but like comparing myself like to other companies, it's just, I don't really care. And I know you're super passionate about this space and what you're building. And I always like to like ask my like founder friends, et cetera, about this question. Do you like, do you have a particular number or like some kind of financial outcome you hope to get? You don't have to say a number, but like, is there a certain kind of financial outcome or goal that you have for working on last bit? Or is it, you know, you you know, it's like a nice to have, but right now you're just like you know you're just enjoying what you're building like I'm, I'm always curious like which you know like it's always like for me personally there's always something i need to strive for whatever that is to kind of help me get through the grind of building something for five seven ten years so i'm just curious about your mindset yeah this is actually the same answer before like i mean I, the financial goal is, is a nice to have and it's usually a side effect of success and uh, I definitely do want to see the company like become a super valuable, like massive company. That and the only the only way it's going to become massive and valuable is if it solves a real problem for real people. At the end of the day, so I want to build some. I want to make this build this to a point where it's like just ubiquitous and like, everyone's using it, everybody loves it, or like it's solving a real problem for many people. And by by default, that just just means that it's going to be a huge, massive, valuable company, which by default again means it's like going to be like a hundred billion dollar company if you want to put a number to it. But uh, but that's not like I don't look at it as I want to, I want to make this a billion dollar company plus or like that that, that just that, that's not a driving factor at all. Got it. And you know the last question I want to you know leave off with was, you know, for the folks listening, uh, or who or who will listen, um, what advice would you give to any aspiring entrepreneurs out there? that uh, you know you want to leave a message to or for sorry uh, well every single person <laughs> this is like something i've also observed with a whole bunch of friends and like folks that have regular day jobs like everybody has an idea like everybody has like all these fantastic ideas like it's, it's easy to look at coinbase and say like oh i had that idea at that point like i, I knew it i was like the first one but yeah but you didn't build a hundred billion dollar company so <laughs> uh i mean if you have an idea like you think it's it, I mean, it's, it's it's always going to be a massive list and never there's never going to be a day when you're going to be comfortable with like okay i'm going to like pursue building or like doing something about this idea that i have so if you, you want to be an entrepreneur it's that that word actually has no meaning it's, it's like if you have an idea just go do something about it instead of saying it's an idea like that's that's probably the only advice I think. And that's a it's a great way to kind of end off, you know, strong message to the audience. I think it's you know taking action definitely is a, a big thing. I hear a lot of people talk the talk but not walk the walk. So love the mm-hmm. message, Prashant. So you know we want to thank you um, for kind of you know you know for those of you listening tuning in, and you know be sure to visit TamilCulture.com to network and collaborate with Tamil innovators worldwide like Prashant. And thank you, Prashant, uh, for being involved in this event. Uh, be sure to check out the amazing work that Last Bit is doing at lastbit.io. Um, you know, like Krishan said, 
this is what I would call like a super trend. It's not going anywhere in terms of cryptocurrency and you know all the things we kind of talked about. So um, yeah, so thank you again, Prashant, and thank you for joining us today. So uh, see you next time for those of you listening. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me.